Well then, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're continuing on in uh, Corinthians. We're now in the kind of third section, I guess you could call it. So if you'd like to join me, it's in the Pew Bible on page 1216. 1216. Uh, but of course, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're continuing right now. And just to kind of catch up and review, the first section of this letter to the Corinthians is addressing their problem of unity. They're struggling because they have these different factions that are happening, these different teachers that are, that are uh, causing divisions, even unknowingly or unwillingly. You have some following Peter, some following Paul, some say, well, I only follow Jesus. And the problem is, is they're allowing themselves to be torn apart. And so Paul says, for the sake of love, you need to seek unity. But yet we do not seek unity to allow sin. For the sake of the truth, we do not seek to unify with everyone, even those who are in error. Which is then where Paul leads into the next section of the book, where he's addressing those who are in error. They are allowing sin, and not just any sin, but, but sexual sin, which is defiling not only the person's body, but even the body of Christ, as we are reading in Corinthians. And Paul only a little bit addresses that sexual sin, but really more focuses on their pride that they're taking. It's as if they're saying, look at how open and welcoming and loving we are. Even this person who lives this way is welcome in here. Well, that's certainly true that we welcome anyone, but we do not get rid of the truth. Part of the, one of the biggest parts of salvation is this complete removal of sin, this new life that we are called to live. We don't fall back into sin for the sake of unity, but in this new life we seek out the sinners and bring them the new life that Christ has won for us and given to us. But a lot of this stuff has been kind of, how are they appearing to the outside world stuff? So other people are looking in and, and seeing these Corinthian Christians fighting with one another. People are looking in and seeing how they're accepting uh, of all these things. But now we turn in this section of the letter to the internal matters of the church. So starting off, we have to look at our foundation. Where must we always begin? And it's always in the death and resurrection of Christ. This is what we unite in. This is always the beginning and foundation of our faith, where we have seen the love of God shown to us from the cross and the empty tomb. And through this act, we are then united in the various means of grace to then be God's new people. But it is through this act that it all happens. But yet, as we are removing sin from our midst, as we're seeking to be better and to grow, the question now, as we reflect on 8 through 14, is how do we live as brothers and sisters in the faith? Because we're not here alone. The church has never been set up for us to be alone or independent. But quite the contrary, we rely and are dependent on one another. And so we jump off of this beginning point of the death and resurrection of Jesus, this uniting factor, and look then at the following chapters. Where in chapter 8, Paul begins speaking about food which has been offered to idols. 
Now, this is a strange practice to us in our modern ears. We, we don't really see it, not really modern ears, but Westerner ears. And that still happens in Eastern religions. But they would have a statue, either just yay big or something massive. And they would literally take food and offer it to these idols. So for the Corinthians, one of the big ones probably would have been Poseidon, god of the sea, or with the Romans, Neptune, right? So they would sacrifice food to an idol of the god of the seas for favorable sailing. This is their mentality with it. But what Paul starts talking about in chapter 8, well, is what do you do with this food, right? It's apparently, it's, it's cooked meat. I'm not joking when I say if I see a steak sitting on a plate, I'm not just going to let it go without eating, right? You, you want to enjoy it as much as you can. But Paul is talking and addressing these Christians who have the knowledge, who have the saving knowledge, and who are even mature in their faith, but who are ignoring those who are weak in their faith. You see, you might have been in the church your entire life, but yet now somebody new is joining us or, or has recently been baptized, well, we do as we had done when we were kids. We, we look to those who are mature to learn how to behave. And if somebody who is weak in the faith is seeing somebody who is mature in the faith eating this food offering to idols, well, the problem could be that they see that, well, this is acceptable, this is okay. So then it could lead down a road like, well, Jesus is just another God among all these other gods. So the focus here, as it is in all these chapel, chapters, is the love that we are supposed to have for one another. And not just any sort of love, well, I love you, man, you're great, but the sort of love where you go out of your way to look out for somebody else. Look at what Paul says in verse 13. If food makes my brother stumble... I will never eat meat, lest I cause my brother to stumble. It's for the sake of love that Paul says we are to do these things, regardless of what it is. If it's for the sake of love, don't do it. Love your fellow believers. And then Paul goes into chapter 9 in this very same mentality. And as we read earlier this morning from chapter 9 in our, in our lesson here, Paul talks about being a servant to all. Paul is free. Paul is an apostle. Paul is a, an amazing missionary, a church planter. He has seen the risen Lord. But we give that up for the sake of loving one another. We surrender those rights, those glories, those joys, all for the sake of others. Look at page, either page 3 or verse, uh, verse 19 in the Pew Bible. Even though I'm free from all of these things, I make myself a servant so that I might win them. All for the sake of love and for the gospel, as we read then in verse 23, that all of this is done to preach this foundation of Christ crucified. All for the love of the neighbor. Not the neighbor, but your brother or sister in Christ. There are things that we give up in order to love and serve. I kind of think of it like, like sports. Paul uses a sports example here. But you know, we have, I think we all have that, that favorite player. One of my favorite players is a hockey player for the St. Louis Blues named Vladimir Tarasenko. And 
he's just an absolute star on the ice. He is so good. But I think one of the things that I like the most about him is seeing how he plays with the team. That he could probably take the puck, get a breakaway, and score as many goals as he'd like to. But he plays with and for his team. And you will see him constantly passing and constantly doing things to help his teammates. Think about it with, with football, with baseball, whatever, whoever your team might be. Whether they be the Minnesota Vikings or even the Green Bay Packers, Barb. But we like those players who we see that, yeah, they could be a superstar. They could, they could just do everything. But we love seeing them play with the team. That all together they are doing it. And it's that same exact mentality. You give up your certain things that make you maybe a superstar in the church in order to love your fellow believer. And then Paul continues addressing this problem of idolatry. Looking back at ancient Israel, telling us very interestingly that ancient Israel was given as an example to us, which I thought kind of interesting. But yet we see that as we look back on ancient Israel, that God punished these people for their sin and idolatry. So we can see that God didn't just allow that to happen so that we'd have an example. But Paul is saying that this is history and we can learn from it. We can learn how to flee from it. Because we don't participate in, in, a, in a meal to an idol, right? The cup of blessing that we bless, verse 16, is, not, is it not the participation excuse me, in the blood of Christ? We are participating in a meal with our fellow believers in things in communion that is in the very body and blood of Christ, not, not just some idol who might give you favor but something that we participate in to unite as brothers and sisters in the faith. And so when we do these things, it is for the sake of not causing offense, not causing the brother to stumble, but so that your brother and sister in Christ would see your love that you have learned from your God. Then we move into some more internal matters of the church in chapter 11. We've got head coverings, but more importantly, we've got the order of men and women. There's a lot of things that are being kind of addressed here. A lot of it's pretty cultural stuff. But yet, what is the uniting factor in it all? And it's love. It's love that we have for one another. We have this order of men and women and the order of creation and everything. And to our modern ears, that's sometimes a little bit bothersome. But that's why verse 11 is so important. And the Lord, woman, is not independent of man, nor man independent of woman. The important factor here is that we are united for the sake of love for one another. To love, serve, and care for one another as members of this wonderful church. But then that leads into one of the really, really biggest and most difficult parts of Scripture in chapter 11. Where Paul just rips into them. Verse 17 in the following instructions, I do not commend you. You are not doing anything right. You are messing up. When you are getting together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, there are factions. Some people are getting drunk. Some people aren't getting anything. What are you doing? 
Why are you behaving like this? This is not what you're supposed to be doing. I love verse 22. It's just an exclamation. What? Like, are you serious? As if Paul is just, just shouting at them. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church that you would humiliate those who have nothing? Again, what is the uniting factor here? It's a love that we are supposed to have for our fellow believers, our brothers and sisters, to care for them, to love them, to serve them, to ensure that they are able to participate in this meal. But also, Paul leads into a very serious warning. Guilt and unworthiness for those who are not celebrating this meal correctly. That there is a great problem If you do not discern the body and blood of the Lord, you will be guilty of it. You are sinning against Christ by not stopping and respecting this holy meal that you are participating in as brothers and sisters. You are sinning against Christ. This is why we in this church body take such a serious precaution. We we, we stop and we say, we want to make sure you know what you're doing. Because of that guilt. We want to make sure that you are a brother or sister. Because this is a meal to participate in as the church of God. This is a meal of love for the the brother and sister in Christ. The bread that we break, the wine that we drink, it's not a participation in some meal to some idol, but to the very living God. Therefore, love must be observed in this gathering. As we receive the very body and blood of Christ, it is the love of God being given to us. So it's that same uniting factor as we love our fellow believers in this holy meal. Then as we move on into chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul's really continuing preaching that same exact love. Chapter 12 focuses on the various spiritual gifts, how they serve the gathering of believers and Paul gives that amazing illustration in, chapter, in uh, chapter 12, verse 12. The one body of many members, we are a part of the body of Christ as fellow believers. And it is all done to unite together as brothers and sisters. I love the image. Like verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Just as a foot and a hand have different ways of serving the body, that doesn't mean that one is more valuable than the other. Or, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Or, or any sort of thing like that. This idea and concept of love for the fellow believers is what unites us together. All various walks of life, all various experiences, different families different nations that have been united together in the one body of Christ. No one can say, I don't need you. No one can say, you don't have any value or purpose here. But out of the sake of love for the brothers and sisters in Christ, we understand that God has given various gifts to various people in order to serve the church of God. And Paul just keeps going with this this exact same sort of thing. Chapter 13, if you've ever been to a Christian wedding, you've probably heard this one. Love is patient, love is kind. 
Paul is no longer just using this kind of generic love your brothers, sisters in the faith. He's now getting specific to say what this love looks like. That you're patient with one another. Which is one of the hardest ones, right? Because there are some people that we know, even in the body of Christ, that can be just the most annoying people. We all struggle with this. Love to be kind to people, to, to not envy or boast or be proud, to not dishonor others, to not be self-seeking, to not be easily angered. A lot of these traits that we, we value greatly, but a lot easier said than done. But yet, for the sake of the love of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we do these things. We are patient and kind with people who can be very unloving and unlovable. We do this for the sake of love. And Paul continues in chapter 14, emphasizing this exact same love, that this continues, that all gifts, all these things is, are given for the sake of others. Not to give you glory, but for the sake of the gospel, as we read just a couple chapters ago. All of these things are uniting together. As I was studying and preparing for this, for some reason my mind kept getting drawn over to uh, Galatians 5.14, where Paul talks about the love of God that fulfills all commandments. And if you remember your catechism, well, you have the Ten Commandments, you have the first section, which is summarized by saying, love God. And the second section of the Ten Commandments, which is summarized by saying, love your neighbor. And then all of the commandments summarized as love. You honor your father and mother because of love. You do not murder because of love. You do not use uh, the, the name of God carelessly for the sake of love. It is all for the sake of love that we are united together. And this is what Paul is constantly pushing and pushing to remind them that all of this that you are going through is because you're not loving one another. Once you get that concept, things will change. And now I, I realize that I've given you just way too much information. I, there's, there's a lot going on here. But I want to bring it back to that, what's the uniting factor in all of this? And it's love. When we seek unity in the church among fellow believers, we're doing so to join together around the love of God for the love of the brothers and sisters. We do not forsake the truth for outward appearances. We do not allow or permit sin so that people think that we're more loving and accepting. But rather, we call people out on their sin. We expect people to be better. Why? For the sake of love. And as we have gone through in the many chapters this morning, that we serve, care for, and do all things for our brothers and sisters in the faith for the sake of love. Giving up of ourselves, giving up of, of things and privileges that we might have so that we can love and serve our fellow believers. What I think is so wonderful about this book is this is a 2,000-year-old, some-year-old book. And look at how relevant it still is to us to this day. This is a letter addressed to a church that probably doesn't even stand anymore. And yet God is using this word 
to still preach to us his truth to this day. Because we need to hear this stuff just as much. We all need to be loving in the church, accepting in the church, calling people out and calling people to be better in the church. Not permitting sin, not allowing sin, but being a part of the body of believers where you can find the forgiveness of sin from Christ. All of this is done for the sake of loving one another. Those brothers and sisters. Because this is where the broken find wholeness. This is where those who are crushed by the reality of evil in this world find hope. This is where those who mourn the loss of their loved ones see the resurrection. And so if we are not united in love as brothers and sisters, what kind of gospel is that going to preach? If we are not uniting in love and service toward one another, people outside are going to notice very quickly. I will say it probably till the, my last breath, that your love and service as a member of a church will preach the gospel better than any sermon. Now, people will observe how the people in the church are transformed. People who either join a church or leave a church, they're not doing it because of a pastor. I'm, I'm a servant who is here to help facilitate things. People join or leave churches because of the way they see brothers and sisters in Christ living and behaving. And I'm not saying these things to guilt you, saying, well, you know what you did, or something like that. But to help you to constantly remember the truth found in this book, of this uniting love that you are still to this day called to live. And if you are seeing a brother or sister who is not living in this way, call them out for the sake of love. You are to be a blessing to all people especially those inside of the body of Christ. So love your fellow believers. Amen? Amen. Amen.